You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. You know we're in our prayer series. It's called, or the series is called Let Us Pray. And it revolves around James 5.13. It says, if any of anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. And I love that verse. And this evening, I want to just share three, three quick points on some things that prayer provides. And the title of my message this morning is Prayers Provisions. No, Ryan Smith, not polite provisions, that cool hip, hipster bar in North Park, but prayers, provisions. And I never, I, I don't really get to preach that much. Like I said, this is the second time I've ever preached, so bear with me. Um, but... But every time I do preach, I like to share a little bit about my testimony and a little bit about what I've experienced. And I hope that it encourages some of you in this room to step out and to trust God and to follow God. So I was born in a small town of Yuma, Arizona in 1994. We kindly refer to it as Hell's Armpit. Look, if you're not from Yuma, you can't, you can't bash on Yuma. But if you're from there, go ahead all day. We could have a powwow after to talk about it. But I was born in Yuma, Arizona. My dad, he was a heroin and meth addict. Uh, he also sold heroin and meth. And my mom, she was an amazing, incredible lady. And I have no idea to this day how that happened in high school. <laughs> but I was born in uh, Yuma, Arizona, 1994. And... Just two years after um, I was born, when I was two years old, my mom had my sister, and my parents got divorced. Um, from then, I was the man of the house until about five years old, where my, where my mom met my stepdad. And my stepdad, I love him. He's my dad. I refer to him my dad. He helped raise me. But he was a harsh man. He was a Marine. He grew up on a cornfield in the boondocks of Illinois. And so he just didn't know how to be a dad, and he didn't know how to connect with us and to have an emotional relationship with us. He was pretty harsh. And by the time I was 9 years old, 9, 10, I turned into a pathological liar because I was more afraid of telling my dad the truth and facing the wrath than maybe, just maybe, if I could get away with telling a lie. By the time I was 9, 10, I don't really remember the time, but I had some sexual encounters when I was a kid that heaped a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, a lot of condemnation all over my life, and it just put an emotional barrier between myself and the people that surrounded me and that I loved. By the time I was 13, I was smoking weed every day, by the time I was 15, I was uh, addicted to ecstasy, and my grandparents and my parents had to have an intervention while I was high. Still one of the craziest moments of my life. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was pretty intense. We can, we can, we can talk about that later. <laughs> but yeah, and then by the time I was 17, the, wet, the gap between me and my parents, see, my dad, he was the type where he could never let anything go. It was just a rap sheet. I was just a prisoner in the house, and I had a rap sheet, and it was one thing after another after another. So by the time I was 17, I figured there's no way I can break free from this. All my past sins, all my past mistakes, they're just going to follow me in, in, in this home for the rest of my life. So me and my dad, I remember I was 17 years old. Um, we got in an argument, a huge blowout fight. And I remember my dad, he took me into the garage, and I was standing in the garage, and my dad, he placed a gun right between us, and he looked at me to, as if to say, if you're a man now, do something. And I remember looking my dad in the eyes, not recognizing him, not knowing who he was, and in that moment, I turned, I ran inside the house, and my dad, he left to go somewhere, he was 
visibly frustrated or whatever. He left, and I remember I put all my belongings that very day, about an hour later, into two trash bags, and I rode my bike seven miles to my buddy Zach's house, and I never went back. So technically, I'm a runaway, but good news is today, um, me and my parents have a great relationship. My dad's actually sought counseling, and he's an amazing guy. I love him, um, but it was a process. It was a process. So I didn't talk to my dad for six months, my mom for six months. I was a senior in high school. I ran away. I graduated high school. I was actually really smart. I had decent grades. Um, I played football, varsity for three years. So I wasn't, I, I was like a good kid, bad kid, and I just had the wrong friends that I grew up with. And I was telling Pastor Tessa and Charles in the green room before that Yuma, it's like a weird place. Like everybody's American and everybody's like really put together and good, but then there's just way too much time to get in trouble and to do bad stuff and throw parties. And it's black and white, so like if it's not, if it's not good, then it's really bad. So there's no gray area. So I got in a lot more trouble than I probably deserved but whatever it is, it's life. So I remember, I remember my, my friends who I, who I grew up with, I've known them since, I mean, one of them since kindergarten, the majority of them since middle school. I remember when I ran away from home, I, I, after, after I graduated high school, I fell in this deep depression because all my friends, majority of them were going off to college and I didn't know what to do. I mean, I didn't even have a car. I barely had a place to stay. And I, my dad told me growing up that if I left, I would never be allowed back. So I never thought, hey, maybe I should just go back to my parents' house. So at this time, I'm really depressed. I'm really, I'm, I'm feeling kind of suicidal. I don't know what to do. Um, I don't know where my life is going. And my buddies decide that it's a good idea to start moving cocaine across the international border checkpoint of Los Algodones. So they started doing that. I never participated in the actual moving of illegal substances across the border, but there's a lot of gray area around that. Um, <laughs> but my buddy, I remember my buddy Jordan, uh, he, he went to opposing high school and we grew up together. And uh, I remember one day he got caught with over $600,000 worth of cocaine at the international checkpoint. And it kind of went down south real quick for me and my friends. So I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go live with my uncle in San Francisco because I got to get out of here because this is not good. Because my other friend decided after that happened that he was going to rob the cartel for something like 32 kilos. And it was all bad. So I dipped out real quick. I was gone. Bye. Adios. I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm not going to be around for this. So I left. I went to San Francisco to live with my uncle. And I remember throughout my whole childhood, I, I had an innate awareness that something spiritual was happening. I would have these dreams when I was a kid where I'd wake up and I would, they call it, I talked to a pastor once when I was a kid, he called it sleep paralysis, don't be that pastor. Um, but I would have these weird dreams and I remember I had a friend named Louie, his parents were always Christians and his parents actually still go to the 830 service to this day. They're amazing people, they, they changed my life without me even knowing it. Um, but Louis, he would always tell me like, yeah, this is what's happening. He convinced me that God existed, but he was the kid that would like do what we were doing. And then for like three months, he was like going to church and kind of chill and was like, no, I'm never going to do that. And then he'd come back. And so it was kind of back and forth. Right. So I remember I was in San Francisco and my, my life seemed good on the outside, but I was really depressed. I was hopeless. I was in a bad situation. I didn't, I didn't know what to do. And I was 19 years old in a big city doing a bunch of drugs, doing a lot of things that I shouldn't be doing. 
And I remember one night, Louis told me that God existed, and if I wanted to, I could reach out to him. And I remember I, I was sitting in my, my apartment on the corner of Hayden Ashbury in San Francisco, 606 Ashbury, and I was, I was laying there, I was depressed, I'd just gotten into some more trouble, done some stupid things, robbed some drug dealers, all going bad. So I was kind of in a bind, and I was like, God, if you exist, please show up. And that's all. God, if you exist, please show up. And I remember, I don't know if it was a few days later, I'm walking down Hate Street out front of the Pork Store Cafe, and I'm looking at this tree, and I'm smoking a blunt, and I'm, I'm looking at this tree, and the presence of God, I swear to you, the presence of God, I remember it like it was yesterday, was just all around this tree. And in a moment, I was sober. I was sober. And I threw the blunt, and I was disgusted with myself, and I was disgusted with what I was doing. And for the next two weeks, the only thing that God said to me, he followed me around everywhere in San Francisco. At one point, it got really annoying. But, but all he kept saying to me was, go to San Diego. Go to San Diego. Go to San Diego. And I didn't realize it, but Louie had found Awakened Church. And Louie was in a connect group praying for me, Brittany King and Mike James connect group, praying for me to come to church. And I remember I came to Empower Conference. We call it Awakening Conference now. And I stood on this altar, and Pastor Jurgen was preaching, and that's when my life changed forever. I met the Spirit of God. I met incredible people in this church, and I knew that I knew that I knew that this is where I had to stay. That one encounter on the altar with Jesus changed my life and set me in motion for my new life. So that's my point number one. Prayer initiates change. Prayer initiates change. In Acts chapter 9, Paul is out here. Saul at the time is going crazy. He's uh, killing Christians. His whole life's goal is to oppress the church because he's a zealot and he believes that Jesus is blasphemy and that the word of God through Jesus is not real or correct. And in verse 3, he has an encounter with God that changes his life forever, just like this encounter on the altar changed mine. And it says, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. It is, it, it is hard for, for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? In that moment on that altar, I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Everything's back in San Francisco. My life is just two suitcases. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where I'm headed. I know that my past is my past, and I don't want to go back there anymore. Lord, what do I do? And then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city, and you will be told what to do. We know that a man of God named Ananias was waiting for him in the city to help with the beginning process of his transformation. But if you're sitting here today and you're, you're, you're wondering, Lord, what do I do? Lord, what do I do? I came to Awaken Church. I'm sitting here. I'm waiting for a word from God. Lord, what do I do? I would say to you, arise. And, and in just a few moments, I'm going to open the altar at the end of the night for you, for you to meet Jesus. I would say, arise and come to the altar, and you will be told what to do. I'd say, arise and pray, and you will be told 
what to do. I say, arise and read the word of God, and you will be told what to do. I say, arise and go to the house of God every Wednesday and every Sunday, and you will be told what to do. I say, arise and go to Tuesday and Thursday morning prayer, and you will be told what to do. I say, arise and go to DNA classes, and you will be told what to do. I say, arise and join a connect group, and you will be told what to do. Then as you submit to the process and you just keep showing up and you just keep showing up and you just keep showing up, you'll see your life begins to transform. Just a little bit later in verse 20, we find Paul. 20 verses before he was persecuting and killing Christians, killing them, like not making fun of them. He's killing them. And in verse 20, it says, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem and, and, and has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. I remember standing on this altar all those years ago, and what Pastor Jurgen said actually reverberates in my head to this day. Sometimes I go into prayer and I just hear it. He's up on this stage, and I'm standing on this altar, just this 20-year-old kid that doesn't know what he's going to do with his life. And Pastor Jurgen says, it doesn't matter what you've seen. It doesn't matter what you've heard. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been. It doesn't matter your age, your race. It doesn't matter your education or background. We all have access to God because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And I got saved. And it was amazing. We all have access to Jesus. We all have access to Jesus. Prayer, prayer is simply just interaction with God. And as you begin to interact with God and the people of God in the church, his house, you'll see your life begin to transform. But we all have that access. Point number two, prayer allows access. So my wife, she's over there serving in youth right now. And I love, I love the youth because between 13 and 18 is when my life began and was, was altered and shifted. And it could have gone one of two different ways, like Pastor Charles said. But I love, I love youth. And I was telling him a story. Um, when I first came to church, I came down from San Francisco. Up in San Francisco, I rode the, the subway everywhere. I'd ride the 6 or the 42 or I'd take the BART over to Oakley if I or Bur Oakland. I said Berkeley and Oakland at the same time. Oakley. Oakland or Berkeley if I needed to. But when I came to church, I didn't have a car. And this might be kind of like rudimentary to some, but this principle actually changed my life forever. I didn't have a car, and I remember I was staying with Pastor Morgan because Pastor Morgan graciously, like within the first three weeks of me being here, let me stay with him. I was rough, and thank you, Pastor Morgan, because without you, I wouldn't be here, honestly. He let me stay there, but I remember not only that, he helped me to get a job. Pastor Morgan did, and he helped me to get a job at UTC Mall, and the problem with that is Pastor Morgan lives in La Jolla Shores, so that's a three-and-a-half-mile walk uphill, literally, on Calle de Oro, and I remember every morning, well, not every morning, but every shift, I would walk to work, 
And I would walk, and I would walk, and I would walk. And I had a lot of time to pray on those walks. And I remember thinking to myself, God, I've been here for a while, and I really want to pursue you. I'm doing the internship, and there's some things that I need, need in life to accelerate my life and get me to where I need to be. And I remember, God, I need a car. I'm saving. I'm trying to do what I can. I'm barely making ends meet. I'm also here at church on a Wednesday, on a Thursday, on a Sunday. I need a car. And I remember God, uh, in Bible college, actually, God brought us into the book of Colossians, and we were studying the book of Colossians. And I remember reading this verse, and it changed my life. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and forth him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. When I read that verse, in him all things consist, it changed my life. I realized that I have access to an unlimited God, a God that could make the impossible possible. I understood that I could come before God in prayer, and I could ask him for things, and he would begin to accelerate my life. So I remember I was praying, and I was asking God, please give me a car. Please give me a car. Please give me a car. Your word says you can do it. Please give me a car. And I remember one day, Pastor Morgan texted me, and he was like, hey, a gentleman at Tuesday, uh, Tuesday morning prayer wants to give you a car. It was about two weeks later. And that, that small story, big at the time, set in motion the, the, the I don't want to say this, set in motion the principle that I use for everything in life, everything in life. Crazy thing is, is I sold that car to buy my wife a wedding ring. Two weeks later, sorry, I, I sweat. Two weeks later, two weeks later, um, a gentleman in Palm Desert who didn't know I needed a car gave me another car. And I was able to give that car away. I want to read this quote from Muhammad Ali. He says, impossible is just a big word thrown around by small men who find it easier to live in the world they've been given than to explore the power they have to change it. Impossible is not a fact, it is an opinion. Impossible is not a declaration, it is a dare. Impossible is potential. Impossible is temporary. Impossible is nothing. When you come to God in prayer, in Mark eleven twenty three, 23, it says, all things are possible for him who believes. All, all things... Robert Medu sweats, so I'm all good. Just kidding. I'm from Yuma. My, my core body temp is a little higher. I'm used to like 120 degree heat, all right, guys? Anyways, anyways, the, Mark 11:23 23 says, all things are possible with God. In seven short years, I'm, I'm 27 now, I just turned 27, I, I have seen the most crazy miracles. If you look at my wife, you'll know that God is real. She's amazing. She's beautiful. She's everything I could have ever imagined. See how I said that first. I said that first. First things first. I remember, I remember about when I was 24, Colby and I started believing for a home, and we were living in a small studio in La Mesa, and I mean, within three months, we saw $250,000 come into our world, cash, lump sum. It was incredible. I mean, I, I went from making $18,000 a year to owning a business that last year, uh, well, I had a job as well, but our business last year did 50, 
This year we're on track to probably do 220. And then next year, next year we're on track. We'll probably do, I don't know, three, at least three with the way things are coming in. If not four, which is what I'm believing for. I'm 27. Look, I'm not special. I'm not like some genius. I'm just a kid who came to the house of God and realized that prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. Prayer makes the impossible possible. I promise you, if you would just spend some time with God, if you would just get God on your life, anything can happen in your world. There is nothing that he won't provide you. There is nothing that he won't give to you or push towards you. He wants to do it for you. I promise. I don't know. I'm not special. I don't know why I have the life that I had. Seven years ago, if you would have told me I have this life, I would have not believed you. I'd have been like, how? Sounds great, but should I have faith? Yes, have faith. So that's all good and dandy. Prayer is awesome when you pray for yourself and you need things. But the true power of prayer is when you begin to focus that prayer on other people and on the world around you and shifting things not in, only in your, in your life, but in the lives of those that you love and the lives of those that you don't even know. My point number three is prayer brings clarity. Prayer brings clarity. I was telling the 830 last week that um, two weeks ago we were in Napa and uh, we came to this very wealthy man's winery. It's actually for sale, 35 mil, if anybody wants to buy it. Um, but we came in, and, and it was an amazing experience because the winemaker was there, and he was a business owner, and he was telling us a little bit of, you know, his, his journey and his process and giving us some advice and some tips. But quickly, things turned south. It was really weird, a really weird encounter. Um, he started bringing up the fact that he was a medium, and he saw a UFO in his backyard, and that he had some Indian-type, like, Native American ritual weird stuff going on in his backyard. And as I was sitting there, I was just like, man, this guy, he just doesn't get it. Like, he just doesn't understand. Like, if he would just understand. And I was getting frustrated with God because I was like, God, I want to say something, but I don't feel to say anything. Like, what should I say? And God told me, he was like, look, first you can just believe that he'll be saved by this time next year. And I said, okay, cool. I'm fine with that. I'll believe that. But then he just began to remind me that everybody needs something to believe in. There's many stories and, and, and people that will try to persuade and convince you to put your faith in those stories. And the word of God is the only thing that we should be putting our faith in. We can't put our faith in these stories. The world will try to tell us that a man can become a woman. The world will try to tell us that a baby boy or a baby girl in their mother's womb is not a life. The world right now is calling righteous evil and evil righteousness. But we, when we come to the word of God, it, all that chaos and that confusion and that stuff the world is selling, it becomes clear. And we can start to have wisdom and we can start help guiding people in the right direction. But without the word of God, we're left to our perception. And where perception is and where it reigns, there's only confusion. There is no reality. There is no right. There's no wrong. Perception is the world's faith. Perception is the world's faith. The problem with the world is perception is often their reality. And when perception is your reality, you put confusion on the throne. 
the God, God, God could come. He could create a six, a six. The world will tell you it's a nine. The world will tell you all day until they're bleeding. They'll scream and they'll say, that's a nine, that's a nine, that's a nine, that's a nine, that's a nine. And then you might look at it and you might be like, wow, it actually starting to look like a nine. But that's why you got to come back to the word of God. That's why you got to come back to the word of God because the truth is, it's just a six and, and the world, they're tripping. They're crazy. It's too much, honestly. Look, these people, they're crazy. They're crazy. And they want you to put your faith in the crap that they're selling. No, I'm dead serious. I'm dead serious. They don't know black from right, white. They look at, they look at Quatch's yellow shirt and tell you it's purple. And they believe it. They believe it. In John chapter 11, verse 3, and I'll end with this. Mary and Martha send word to Jesus that Lazarus, Lazarus has, is sick. And Jesus tells them the sickness will not end in death. And then they leave. And a few verses later, a few verses later, the disciples are walking with Jesus and Jesus tells the disciples, now actually this won't end in death, but he's also not, he's not dying, he's just asleep, right? He's just sleeping, he's not dead. And when I read that, it like located Jesus. He's not dead, he's just asleep. And I began to think, what if Jesus had told Mary and Martha that this sickness would not end in death and he's just asleep? Would they have put Lazarus in a tomb or would they have just put him in his bed? Would they have just put him in his bed? I want to be a Christian that if my friends and my family, everybody's looking at them and saying there's, there's death, there's no hope, there's no life anymore, they've got no potential, they're not going anywhere. I want to be the type of person that says, no, 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 it's okay, they're just sick, they're just asleep, they just need a word from God to help them wake up, to help them be restored, to bring back life, to bring back energy, to bring back vitality, so they can run the race that God has called them to. There's a world full of sick people out there and we can look at them and all we see is death. But I'm telling you, when Jesus looks at them, when Jesus looks at them, he says, no, 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 they're not dead. They're just asleep. And we need you, we need us to be in prayer and to be in the word of God so that we can help wake them up. So that we can help wake them up. This world's crazy. It's crazy right now. There's so many sick people. They don't even know it. They can't even believe it. And it's our job to, to use prayer as a tool to come before God and say, God, for this person, what can I bring into their world? How can I help shift their mindset just a little bit? How can I help show them that there's a better way? How can I help show them that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life? It's our responsibility it's our responsibility. Nobody else is going to do it. Only Louis and his parents were going to help me get to this church. No one else. No one else. Now, what they do when they come, that's up to them. But it's our responsibility to help bring people to the house of God. 
We need to seek God in prayer so that we can have discernment in the world. And after we've been transformed, we can help transform the world around us. Prayer brings change for ourselves, those around us. Prayer brings access to an unlimited God with unlimited potential. And prayer brings clarity into our world and allows us to see things the way that God intended them. Now, right now, if you're in this room and you're in that first boat and you've never met Jesus and you are sitting there and you're like, dang, I want to be transformed. My life is not where I think it should be. I want everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes. And if that's you and you've never met Jesus or maybe you have met Jesus, but you've walked away, you've turned away, I want to give you an opportunity right now to come back to him and tell him, God, come into my life and help transform me. Give me that access to your spirit. On the count of three, if that's you, could you go ahead and raise your hand for me? I did this many times. All of our leaders have. One, two, three. You want to just raise your hand if that's you. You want to come back to God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Now, God's so proud of you. He just wants you to be with him. It doesn't have to be some show. It's not hard. It's not some effort that you have to put in. He just simply wants to be with you. He wants to follow you around. He wants to lead you. Just waiting for a few more. If that's you, raise your hand. Thank you in the back. Thank you on the side here. All righty, guys, we're going to have everybody stand to their feet and give them a great round of applause. Thank you, guys. Jesus loves you. Now, seven years ago, I made that decision in my seat, and then Pastor Jurgen asked everybody to come forward to the front of the room. And I want to do that here tonight. If that was you, and you know that you need Jesus, I, I want to ask you, please, if you would, to come to the front of this altar to meet God here and to let me pray with you. So if that's you, could you come? And if you were sitting by somebody who raised their hand, could you have them come as well? Thanks, boss. Amen. I know there was a lot of you. There's probably 10 or 12 of you. Amazing, amazing, you're amazing. Come on, I'm so proud of you guys, you're amazing. Look, this is, this is the first moment of the rest of your life, I promise you, I promise you, if you would commit to the house of God, if you would commit to God in prayer, there's nothing that you can't do. And you'll be back, well, you'll be here in a few years and and you won't even recognize yourself, and I won't recognize you either, and we all will be talking about how good God is in your life. So if you can, repeat after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I love you. I thank you for being with me. I give you access to my whole life. I give you access to transform me. I'd ask that you'd stay and be with me and never leave nor forsake me. I'm your son or daughter, and you are my Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen, amen.
Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.